you know, and then he started talking about drugs and the chemotherapy and he went through the cost of some of those and mum just about fell off her chair because I remember one of them was about $120,000 and I just, I couldn't speak because that is so much money. You know, mm. I never have savings. Don't have a <laughs> casual 120 grand to drop. No, no yeah. I don't have any money. Mm. I've got stage four bowel cancer. We're going to talk about everything from my diagnosis to treatment and how things are going right now. Talk about the things that people might be curious or want to hear, but are too frightened to ask. That's Joe McKenzie-McLean, and I'm Colleen O'Hanlon. We've been mates and colleagues at Stuff for 20 years. Since her diagnosis, Jo's been incredibly open about her illness on social media, and in this podcast, she wants to go further. So I'm just hoping that what we do here can just help people who are on that journey, whether they've got cancer or not, and make them feel that, you know, that they're not alone. I'm going to be with Jo every step of the way. There will be tears and laughter. She'll also offer practical insights, support and hope. This, then, is the story of Jo versus Cancer. <laughs> At the end of the last episode, when we were sitting here having, um, you know, this conversation, we were talking about, you know, you've been diagnosed with cancer after um, a long journey to get that diagnosis and then having a really confronting conversation around your your health position. You'd been in and had a radical, um, radical surgery in your bowel. Was, was it three quarters of your bowel was removed? had some pretty dark and intense and intimate moments with your partner and gone home and, you know, you've you've shared some quite frightening news with your kids. So what happens next? You take a deep breath and, you know, I guess, you know, how does the plan come together? Uh, okay, well, I was focused really just on recovery from the surgery so I could get um, straight into treatment. So... I was told that it would probably be like four weeks recovery, four to six weeks. So I did that. I recovered really well. I did everything I needed to do. And then I was, at the same time, I was waiting for a phone call from the hospital to see what my treatment plan would look like. Mm -hmm. They meet every Thursday. There's about, I don't know. Like a group of doctors. Yeah. A a whole cross-section, like radiologists, radiologists. oncologists, surgical teams, you know, there's a whole group of them that meet and they go through each pa- patient's file and they decide, okay, so, you know, what what is the best plan and whatnot. So... Um, do you have... Is, in that scenario, do you have one doctor who is your... You know, is he the lead on your plan or he or she, you know? There was this woman who kind of acted as a bit of a go to she she told me when to expect the call and then I got a call from Chris Jackson right so I got and he's your oncologist he is my oncologist and he phoned me and yeah and he just explained um that I was going to need a PET scan and what's uh, a PET scan so a PET scan is uh you come to Christchurch and they do they put uh give you a glucose um put glucose in you and it picks up where all the cancer might be in your body so is that, is that one of those scans where it turns a different colour or something? You know, like, how do they... Yeah. Right. Um, I'm not sure what PET scan stands for. <laughs> no, me neither. Anyway, that's okay. Maybe but it's a deep dive into the details. We don't need to. <laughs> it's it's quite intense, though, and it costs a lot of money. An intense thing to undergo, you mean? Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah, it's expensive and... 
that showed just the extent of where the cancer had spread. Um, so it was about f- five weeks later I, I saw Chris in person. I went down to Dunedin and he had the PET scan results. Um, I'd also had CT scans and MRIs. I've had so many of these scans. Um, and so by the time I sat down with him, he had all of the information there. I had also had blood tests and all sorts. And he, I had my parents with me. And I remember, you know, he, he was so lovely and um, really kind, but quite brutally honest about what was happening and how bad my cancer was and where we go to from here. Um, He explained that I had stage four bowel cancer that had metastasized and spread to my liver and he said that the tumours in my liver were, you know, there were multiple lesions in there um, that made it inoperable. They were across my... um, yeah, across the whole liver. Apparently, you need to have at least a third of your liver clear to be able to operate. Um, so, operation an operation wasn't on the table, and he said that my tumor was uh, quite gnarly, big, and that it had perforated the bowel wall, and that. There's four ways that cancer can spread, um, you know, for, through your lymph nodes and blood vessels and whatnot, and it had spread all four ways. And he said that um, that yeah, the cancer cells would be in my bloodstream and um, potentially, you know, be going through my body and um, they could... Set up shop somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Um, so, you know, that was really difficult news to take and my mum found it really hard. I remember she started crying in the room and I was sort of sitting there quietly in shock and, you know, and then he started talking about drugs and the chemotherapy and he said that there were lots of options for us, you know, kind of tried to get us not to panic, but, you know, he said that, um... You know, there is, there are drugs that can extend life, and um, he went through some of those, and a lot of those were ones that are not funded by the public system, and he went through the cost of some of those, and Mum just about fell off her chair because I remember one of them was about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and. I just, I couldn't speak because that is so much money. I mean, you know, I live by myself with the kids and have a mortgage and... And all um, the other costs that daily life that, comes with, right? I mean, yeah. I live on, like, you know, hmm. I never have savings. Don't have like, a casual 120 <laughs> grand to drop. No, no yeah. I don't have any money. Hmm. Like, I have no, like, all, all of my, you know, I have a house. That's That's my only asset. Yep. Um, like most New Zealanders. And, yeah, and I don't, um, 
you know, I just, I was just like, oh my God, how on earth am I going to pay for this to, you know, stay alive? And um, so that was a really, really traumatising appointment. It was, you know, a lot of things were thrown at us and we left feeling pretty stunned and pretty, um, you know, mum was kind of like, what What are we going to do? I was like, what are we going to do? We just, you know. So in that appointment you were told bowel cancer stage four and it's in your liver, it's inoperable and the drugs that might extend your life are seemingly beyond the realm of possibility because of the price tag that comes with them. Yep. And wow. then and then I had to um, have a procedure where the they they the port they put the port this yep. port of cath in, in me. Um, and that happened pretty quickly. Like at that same um, over the next couple of days it was a bit of a whirlwind and it's like this hard plastic circle thing that they insert under your skin and there's a line, a tube that goes up through your neck and down into your body. And, uh, I mean, it looks like an alien kind of... It sounds quite traumatic. It, and, and invasive. To have, uh, really invasive. And it just... It was horrible. Like, I just remember that was that was quite horrible for me. And the doctor who did it was so nice. Dr Lau, I think his name was. And he, he was really... Um, kind and they're so kind. Like, I could not fault any of the medical staff there. They just they the care was really, you know, just really good. And um, but yeah, so he took me up to this. I remember going up to this room where they insert this, and there were, there were a group of women there, and they were all older women, all gowned up, and they were all staring at me, and you know. And all sort of smiling, and they all kind of looked like nanas. Like mm. it was really weird, and it was like I was in a dream. I feel like I was in, you know, that Grease movie when that when that woman with red hair goes, Be- yeah, and uh, Beauty Frenchie, and you know that song, you know, Beauty School Dropout, yeah, that. And they've got all those women <laughs> in the clouds with those weird cones. Yes. I felt like I was like that. That was me going, <laughs> and I was floating, and I got onto this table, and I was kind of like talking to these ladies and it turns out anyway these women are all retired nurses they all are they all go this is, and they all come in just for this particular job they volunteer or something uh, to, like they support it they help with the operation they're all retired right. nurses and they all come in just for this particular thing um i always thought that would make a quite a cool story actually um yeah it was just really weird all these retired old nurses around me who come in just for this particular job um, just to help out, it was kind of strange. It's kind of amazing too that people feel about their their job that way after they've retired, even yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It, it was quite weird and lovely. It was quite. Anyway, mm. so you know, I got this thing put in, and um, the next day, yeah, the drugs started. So, what drugs start going in, and and are these unfunded drugs already? So, one of them was unfunded and one of them was one that was funded through the public system but because I was going private I pay for it. Right. I pay for everything. I pay for all my drugs. So So even the drugs that you would if you'd gone through the public system, even the drugs that would have been covered in the public system, you are paying for in the private system because you can't double dip. Yes. And 
yeah. So there's yeah. So the first lot of drugs I was on, it was a combination of different drugs, and yeah, some of them were ones that were funded in the public system, and some of them were unfunded. So the, yeah, they do. I I have multiple drugs at a time sometimes. So did you and your family have to have, given it was a day or two after an appointment with Chris Jackson, you're already on unfunded drugs within that short window. Did that mean you had to have a really like financial financially hustle really quickly in order to start that treatment? Yeah. So luckily with my insurance, that was able to help kickstart it. So I had the money through my insurance company to start covering that initial um, round. The initial round, yeah. Yep. But that does not last long. It exhausts pretty quickly. So, yeah, up until, yeah, the figures have, up the first, oh, up until April this year, I'd spent $160,000 on drugs. And since then, I've been on drugs that, for example, one that I was on was costing me $5,000 every three weeks. Right. So that number, I mean, I would, I, I think at a guess, you know, I'd be looking at close to, closer to probably 200,000. Since um, the start of 2021. Yep, since the start of February 2021. Mm. So that's a lot of money. And when when we came home, luckily, I've got a couple of friends who are, are really, you know, go-getters and they were immediately jumped up and said, we are going to start doing some fundraising for you. And initially I was horrified at the idea. Like initially I was quite reluctant and I was, it was quite embarrassing. It's hard to ask for help. Um, yeah. And, and maybe asking for financial help is the hardest kind of all. Oh, my God, yeah. And I, I was... Initially, I was like, no, no, it's too embarrassing. Um, you know, I, I don't want that attention. But then, you know, when I started to think about it and think about how I would pay for the drugs, I kind of just accepted no, the fact that I had to just put down my barrier and just lose that kind of... Well, what's the alternative? Yeah. You know, really, yeah. you know. Um, so you've spent, you know a fortune on unfunded drugs since you started treatment, you know, nearly $200,000 and since the start of 2021. Um, And I think from previous conversations you've told me that um, that a lot of the money you've paid is actually GST, so that even though you're funding those drugs yourself, you also pay GST on top, which is on $200,000, not an insignificant amount of money at all. Um, How do you feel about that? Yeah, I it wasn't until I looked at one of my invoices. Um, actually, it was Michael looked at one of my invoices. And we were quite stunned at how much GST was coming um, put on top, you know, like thousands of dollars. So, like, the, the invoice that we looked at it had 20 grand. 21 grand had come off on GST. And... You know, we were kind of like, oh, my God, that's like, that could have paid for one of my treatments. Like one of the drugs, Aviston, costs 20-something grand. So, and that's an unfunded drug. That's funded in Australia for people, but unfunded in New Zealand. Um, and I was thinking, shit, that that money could fund someone's... Extend, extend extending life. drugs. Yeah. And I just, I think it's really unfair and quite outrageous that the government won't fund drugs that can 
improve the quality and quantity of somebody's life. And we have to go to all sorts of extents to raise money, find money to pay for these drugs. You know, people are donating money for us to pay for drugs. And yet the government the is is cream at taking the cream off that. You know, they they are they are taking thousands of dollars from from money that people have donated, mm. people for, for, for our treatment, I think it's. I, I just think it's. I think it's really, really. Um, it's something small. It'll be small to the government, but it's huge to to people like me who, um, you know, are trying to all sorts of ways to find money, and some people just can't find that money. So you know, they're dying. Um, you know, I think it's something that the government should really, really be looking at, and something small that they could do. To just help help thousands of New Zealanders, you know, help with this treatment that they're not paying for, like they don't, you know, but yeah, they they're taking money off off us. It's a drop in the bucket in terms of the tax coffers, right? Yeah, but really meaningful impact in terms of a treatment program mm-hmm. for individuals who've raised that money for themselves. Mm-hmm. God, Joe, it feels to me like um, when you're grappling with a health crisis. And some really, um, you know, unimaginable kind of internal conversations that the last place you want to put your energy is having to worry about money, you know. Even though I know that for most people, if not, you know, all who are suffering from cancer, it becomes one of the primary things you have to deal with, right, is that if if it's not paying for treatment, maybe it's not being able to work or whatever, you know. Yeah, and... Like I said to my oncologist, what happens to people who don't have the money to pay for these drugs? Drugs, And, you know, he said, well, they don't get the treatment and unfortunately, you know, their life is cut short. Mm. Um, it's, it's awful. And I, I almost felt guilty. I almost felt this guilt because I was getting treatment. treatment and I thought about all of those people because, you know, my oncologist said that the majority of people aren't in my position, haven't had the help that I've had. You know, my community has been incredible and they have raised thousands of dollars for me that I've used for treatment. And and not just the community. I mean, I've had New, New Zealanders, uh, you know, I've had a give a little page set up and people, strangers from all over the country and outside of the country have donated money and um, and not just money, but I've been given other support, you know, um, people have dropped around food. I've had meal trains set up because cooking's been difficult with the kids, and um, you know when I'm sick and stuff. And I've just I've had people, you know, baking, leaving things at my door without even their their name, just a card, and I don't even know who they are. And Aww. I've had people. I had a group of Rotarians come around and do my garden. I've, I had my my garden had just got out of control, and it was really overwhelming me. It was so silly that I felt like that, but. Um, just I don't know. Yeah. Would you have any um really? Because I guess in that scenario, communities a lot of people would want to help, and maybe don't know where to start or what's appropriate or what would be welcome even. So, would you have any thoughts or suggestions on you know these are the ways in which you can support somebody that is meaningful to them? I guess everyone's different, and people will have different boundaries. And different levels of you know privacy. Some people might actually just want to be left alone. So I'm just speaking for myself, and you know maybe yeah. other people, you know, might be in my situation. But 
things like the meals, the gardening. Um, I got given some vouchers, like grocery vouchers. Just, that, I mean, that's helpful. You know, know, I remember one time seeing on Facebook too that um, you were unable to go to school sports and that one of your friends had videoed it for you so that you could see your kids' races even if you couldn't be there. And I just remember you, the joy that you seemed to have in that, which but, is a small thing for somebody to do but really meaningful for you. Yeah, that, yeah, that was that kind of thing is amazing because, yeah, a lot of the time I am stuck at home, unable, um, unable to move. And previously I would be at all of the kids' events. I was heavily involved in a lot of those things. And it's it's so – it is really hard not to be there. Mm. Like it's quite painful. So, yeah, actually I didn't even ask them to do that. But people actually just did that. And I – so I was so, so grateful. People are amazing, you know, and come at, I had one friend who – Offered to clean my bathroom for me, and I was. That's quite an intimate thing. I to know clean somebody's bathroom. She's like, I hate cooking. I can't cook, but I can clean. Yeah. So can <laughs> I come round and please clean your bathroom? And I've got an old scuzzy bathroom. It is nineteen seventies, disgusting, horrible kind of. It's hard to clean. It's hard to use. You know, yeah. it's not nice. Anyway, she turned up, and I was like, Oh well, it'll probably only take her half an hour or so. Anyway, like two hours later, she came out. She had her socks and shoes off. Her pants were rolled up. Her hair was flying everywhere. (laughs) She was hot and sweaty. And she was like, (laughs) I was like, I couldn't believe it. And she, she gave it, it obviously hadn't been cleaned for a while. But, you know, she came out like completely happy that she had done something. And obviously, she had worked hard. So, And I, w- I was really grateful. Initially, I was like, oh, no, because, yeah, bathroom and toilet are, are gross. To, but, I know. But it was helpful. It was helpful. And, That's um, interesting. Yeah. And people picking up the kids for play dates has been, if you've got children, that's been quite helpful too because. It's hard to get them around. To get, just, to, just to give them, get them out of the house, give them a break from me being sick and, you know, just entertaining them and keeping them. You know, mm. yeah, I've I've found that quite helpful. People mm. picking up the kids for play dates and stuff. Um, what about the flip yeah. side to that? Were there um, were there any times when, and you maybe don't want to be too specific, and you know, for fear of hurting somebody's feelings, but were there occasions when you maybe felt your boundaries were crossed, and that um, a well-meaning individual had really had the opposite impact for you? I've found sometimes people say to me, oh, you shouldn't, um, you know, you shouldn't be eating dairy or meat or um, do, uh, you know, do this, do this. And and, and they are all well-intentioned, you know. But it's really, I I just got really, really overwhelmed and bombarded at the start. It took me a while to sort of think about, okay, what am I going to do? I've got my chemo plan. And then there are alternative treatments. Like the first thing I thought of was that woman I t- have talked about previously who overcame cancer, who had um, the bowel cancer. And I was like, I rang her and said, what did you do? What did you take? Um, what kind of herbal supplements did you take? And, you know, I just wanted to copy her. So um, I did things like that. But w- most- Was that in consultation with your oncologist? You know, yes. like, and, and what was his viewpoint? He kind of was like... He's very sciencey, 
and is basically everything has to be evidence based. And I think you know he he but his advice was basically eat nuts <laughs> and um, exercise. It was nuts, exercise, and um, nuts. Who knew? Like why nuts? nuts. Did you say? Um, probably. I can't remember. Right. They're healthy. Maybe they, they could have anti-cancer fighting things in them. Um, Interesting. I, I clearly listened to him. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what he said. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, but anyway, I copied some of the things, so I started doing um, a bit of acupuncture and taking. I still haven't done one of the things that she did, and that was eat. So there's apricot kernels, and inside the apricot kernel, there's a little, um, little thing, a little stony thing. Yep. Yep. What is that called? You know, an apricot nut. <laughs> anyway, I don't, I don't even know. You crush it up. Yeah. You ground it up. Yeah. You ground up these apricots. So I had all my friends. I had everybody bringing me apricot stones, and my stepdad and son were breaking the stones and bringing me the little kernel. And so we are blitzing them. So they've got it cyanide in them, so you can't take too much. Oh, like and apple pips too do, right? Apple yeah. seeds do as well. And there is something I think on the Ministry of yeah, like a warning. Thing. Yeah, saying don't take them because. They have contained cyanide. So is the hope there that the cyanide might help kill the cancer? Yeah. I, well, I don't know. That mm. This was something that she had been told by someone else who bit cancer and it's some sort of... Right. So I was kind of like, well, whatever you're doing, I want to do. But I've just been a wee bit nervous, so I haven't quite done it yet. So I've got mm. a whole heap of like, squashed apricot kernels in my cupboard that I'm just kind of like That does feel potentially for, risky. You like, just take a little bit. Yeah. So What's a little bit? Like a capsule, like a like quarter of a teaspoon maybe. What about... Yeah, but maybe... A, Maybe a half teaspoon is too much. You know, don't want to kill yourself. Exactly. Before cancer kills me. (laughs) You don't want to kill yourself along with it, you know. I don't know. Yeah. And so, and then I tried some Chinese herbal medicines. So I had a selection of them and I wasn't sure about that. And, you know, the oncologist kind of was like, "Mm." But anyway, I had them because is there a risk any of those things would interfere with your drug plan? Maybe so that's kind what I, that's what I was getting at. I yeah, suppose. well, I, yeah, well, I, I don't know, but yeah, I was always a bit nervous to talk to Chris about that because I knew he'd say, "Don't do it." I think. Yeah. Right. Interesting. But um, yeah. So I took some. I've taken some weird concoctions like these Chinese herbal medicines were, um, yeah. So it was beyond like drink, drinking soil, and I don't know what I was drinking. Drink. Soil. It tasted like that. It was brown. Oh. And there were five <laughs> different things, and I don't know what they had. I don't know what I was drinking. What one of them said, semen on the label, and I just gulped it down. Oh. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know what was oh. in there, but my cancer markers kept going up. So, so gratefully stopped that. I stopped that. But, yeah. So what is um? So you, you've got this, you know, in, intense drug regime that you're now on which will be assumably making you feel quite shitty. So what does um, what other kind of acts of self-care were you trying to make time for? What does it look like to look after the, your whole self? You know, like, was it super critical to you that you, you know, like, um, you know, that your hair was washed and clean or that you slept in a nice bed at night or, you know, the other little things that you did that were important to you in your daily ritual that were... Um, helped because I mean you you've got this great spirit about your journey, and it, I don't think that comes from the hard parts of your journey. I feel like that's that's you've built that in. I'm curious to find out how you've built that into your journey. Um, Love the word journey. Hmm. Having a shower definitely helps. 
I've I've tried to. It's been yeah, it's been hard, but I've I'm trying to have routines mm-hmm. because one of the things I've found really hard is you know not working. And I'm used to working, I'm mm. used to being busy and just Productive. having that ripped away from me and being left kind of extremely tired, some days nauseous. Um, my body can be really, really sore um, and I don't want to move and it's really, really hard to just get up and function mm. and be feeling like I'm part of society. You kind of sometimes feel like the world is moving around you and you're just observing it and um so yeah. what does what does your day-to-day so, at this point and maybe it's the same now but what does your day-to-day support look like like who are the people coming into your life on the daily what are they doing for you um so my my parents are there every day and they help with the kids and they help with um life just yeah I mean, some days I've needed help getting dressed, you know. I've help, I've needed help having a shower. I've needed help getting off the toilet. I've got, I had to get some equipment that old people have. You know, I've got a thing on the toilet because I couldn't get off the toilet. So I've got a seat in the shower. I can't have a bath. I found that out because hot water. Makes you dizzy, does it? No, I get stuck. I couldn't oh. get physically out of the bath. Hot water. So there's soothes my joints, you know, that feels really nice. But yeah, I got stuck in the bath and had to like call for help. I was home alone and I just I couldn't my wrists and hands, I just I couldn't get out and with my legs and um so I got I, I had to wait in the bath until I got rescued. Um How long was the bath still hot? No, no, I pulled the plug out to get out and I oh, was stuck in an empty, no. cold, slippery bath, yeah. And, yeah, so luckily, yeah, I had, I had some assistance in the end, but it was, yeah, quite... So, um, so um, I don't know your mum, but I've I've seen, you know, lots of clips and, you know, kind of posts from you on social about you and your mum and, and often you guys are laughing together. Um, and I, I wonder, um, you know, whether like what your diagnosis has done, you know, how it has built that relationship with your mum. You know, like, are you closer than ever because you have to be? Is it more challenging? Is it harder on your relationship? and or All your relationships, really. Um, I would say it probably has brought us closer, but at the same time, there's almost like an elephant in the room with us because she tries to hide her fear of what's happening and tries to be strong. But I can see that. And sometimes she can be kind of a bit manic and, um, you know, run around the house trying to do things. Mm. And, you know, she tries to do everything and she just needs to sit down and, um, yeah, just, I can feel her stress and anxiety. Is it, is um, she keeping herself crazy busy so she doesn't have to face some of those thoughts, do you think? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But then 
a lot of the times she is strong and she she's helping me and is giving me a hug and she's just saying, you know, I wish I could take this away, but I don't know how and I can't do anything. I don't know what to oh, say. I have no words and all I can do is just, you know. Um, and she said not living is not an option. You, She said that isn't going to be you. So, um, you know, and we go. Oh, and, amazing. Yeah. You know, and at the start she slept I with me a lot. <laughs> I remember that. I remember God. seeing you like two spoons in the bed, and um, oh God. I mean, it's oh, so, it shows a lot of vulnerability, but also a lot of love between the two of you. It's mm. really difficult because I'm a really independent person, mm. and I am like, Mum, don't suffocate me. You know, since my brother died, I really have to put up a bit of a thing with Mum and be like, I'm her only child now. I'm her world, but you know, it's there's a bit of like back up the bus a bit. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's like you know, just yeah. But with being sick, it's kind of like it's – I can feel suffocated, yeah. but I need her. Mm. So there's a tension there, and mm. sometimes we can fight and bicker, and then uh, – yeah, but immediately after that, you know, we'll, we'll cry and say sorry, and, you know, she knows I'm a bit drugged up and stressed and stuff. And so we're, we're close enough to be able to do that, and she knows that if I lash out, it's – Circumstantial. It's, yeah, and same with her. So, yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's it's really – it's it's – there's pressure. Um, is, yeah. is it the same of all your relationships? Because so, Michael, Michael's obviously been an amazing support to you, right? Yeah, so he he lives three hours away, but he um, is with me as much as he can be. He's got two children at, at home that he cares for as well. He co-parents and um, it's, it is really hard for him to be away and he wants to be by my side all the time, you know, and... Um, but when he's up, you know, he's, he's really been instrumental in being quite a rock for me and being, putting me back on track. You know, he'll, we'll go to appointments with Chris, my oncologist, and Chris will say something and I'll come out and be like, oh, that was terrible. Like, oh no, like, what about this and this? And Michael will be like, Joe, he didn't say it like that. He said it like this. I didn't take any negatives out of that appointment. He means, you know, so he he is... An antidote to some of your feelings. Yeah, and I, you know, and he he's kind of like, um, he's quite calm and he's quite pragmatic and, you know, he, he writes lists and he's quite organised and he, he's kind of focused and he's like, right, what are five things you're going to do each day to fight cancer? And right, you you need to be you need to have a routine going because you can't lie on the couch all day and feel like crap. You need to get up. You know he's quite motivating. You know, and he's and some days I'm like I'm sick. You know, and I might moan and, and bitch back at him. But um, what are some of the things you do every day to fight cancer? So exercise. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do exercise. Another one was um, like get up early, like get up at a regular time. So I'm not, you know, get up and get dressed. Yep. Um. Read something positive, like read a book, or get my brain, get my brain Engage going. Engage your brain. Yeah. Yep. Um, take some, do something healthy, you know, like have some of that semen syrup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounded really rude. <laughs> I mean, you know, like have. I think we know what you mean. Like do something, you know, have, yeah. do, have some vitamins. Or, or acupuncture or yeah. just, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess just try and de-stress. I talk to a counsellor once a week, which is quite helpful. Um, 
But yeah, it, it definitely puts pressure and strain on relationships because it feels like the cancer is always there. It's mm. like we can't, I can't drive to Invercargill and see him anymore because I can't drive. I can drive, but I won't drive three hours. I'm yeah. too tired and sometimes my joints don't work. So he has to come see me. Um, you know, we, we aren't, we've, we've been together for a few years, but it feels like we can't progress things because I've got cancer and I don't know what lies ahead. So mm. I'm scared about, um, you're in a holding pattern. Yeah. You're in a holding pattern relationship wise. Kind of. Yeah. It, it, it kind of rules our life and, you know, there's things that he's been wanting to do that he's had to put on hold for me and, um, and it, and it feels like it's just going to be never ending. You know, mm. it's really, it's really hard. And and sometimes it's like people come from places of well being and put advice onto me, and I'm sick, and it doesn't necessarily. Um, it's hard. It's harder. You know, think some things that I get, people think I can do, I can't. Mm. Um. If that makes sense, it does. I think a I lot think of there are probably other things that people assume you can't do that you can. Some things too is I look, I look healthy. I haven't. You do. You I actually do. Sitting here now, looking at you, you look like a healthy woman. I haven't lost much of my hair. Some one drug thins, has thinned it out, but for the most part, I've got my hair. I'm not on steroids, steroids anymore, so I've lost a lot of that steroid puff. I lo- actually look like I don't have cancer, mm. and so people. Yeah, people think that I am, am am well, but actually I'm not. Um, yeah, which is sometimes sometimes I yeah, sometimes it's hard because you want you don't want to tell people that you're sick, but you feel like crap, and it's like, yeah, I look well, but I'm actually really struggling today, and I can't do these things. I can't do these normal things that everyone thinks I can do and expects me to do. You know, sometimes I'm so tired with the kids, or I'm cooking dinner or you know and I just um nothing I want le- nothing left in the tank yeah yeah and with relationships it can be a bit like that too <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a next episode <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to joe versus cancer with joe mckenzie mclean and me colleen o'hanlon we know our conversations might be a tough listen whether you've got cancer or you're caring for somebody who has There's lots of support available and there's information in the show notes. This is a Stuff podcast produced by Chris Reed. You can listen to the full series at stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Kia kaha. Be strong.